0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. And now if you will prepare your hearts um, and turn your eyes to the Word of the Lord, we'll be reading from the Gospel of Luke this morning, Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Becky. Well, I have a simple question. How do you define the Christmas spirit? And are you in it? <laughs> How do you know when you're in it? It's kind of an interesting thing because, you know, I think every year, could it be the fact that decorations, start getting put out immediately when Halloween is over? Or could it be when Starbucks starts putting out their uh, holiday cups, right? You're like, yes, it's here. What 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 defines the Christmas spirit for you? Uh, Is it, you know, this time of year you feel like everything's kind of warm and cozy? Is it going to see your family? I think it's really, I was seriously curious about that because that's language we use, vernacular for us. And uh, so, as I was kind of looking it up, here's something interesting. The Scientific American, which is a publication, actually considers the Christmas spirit something scientific. Listen to what they say. This is a, a couple things in view. The first is mainly behavioral. That it's acting out of a need to give. And then, secondly, and I, they said a couple things, but I think this is kind of summing it up. But, secondly, is the fact that, that there's light coming into darkness. Right? And we like lights. We put out all sorts of lights. I went to try and buy lights at Target yesterday. What a horrible decision that was! Target at Christmas time. Um, It's like this, like, hello, yes, no lights on the shelf. They're all different colors, LED, this, they have a hundred different kinds. The point is, though, there's light. We want light. Everybody wants light. Some of us are even using vitamin D lights, aren't we? Because it's so grim and we need something, right? There's light in the darkness, giving in light. I'll tell you what it is, though, because I think that, that when we talk about the Christmas spirit, most of the time, it's something that we talk about. coming from within. It's just this, how do we get in touch with that? And if you read even more of the publications, it says the Christmas spirit, you, you gotta tap into that coming from within, that giving, that, that loving, that warm spirit. But you know what it's like. It doesn't feel like there's a whole lot coming out from inside that feels really warm sometimes. You hope that it does. But here's what I think Christmas is to me. It's when I was really little, I can't remember if I was six or seven. And I remember waking up on Christmas morning, but it was really early, it was still dark out. And I thought, ooh, I'm gonna go see if Hasana come. And I got that mind, I was like, this is awesome! And so, I felt like I was a, a little ninja in pajamas. And I kinda crept around the corners and I went out into where the tree in the living room was and there it all was, all these toys, G.I. Joes, all the things I I just dated myself. But yeah, Star Wars original, G.I. Joes, all this stuff, I was like, oh, man. So at that moment, I had a decision. What was I gonna do? Am I gonna climb back into bed? Am I gonna sit out here till morning? No, I'm gonna do both. I started piling the gifts up in my arms and carried them all back to my room. (laughs) Literally. Like, you know when you pull your shirt out and you can do that, like, kind of hoop thing, you just put things in it? I started doing that. Like, tons of G.I. Joes and Star Wars guys. And and, and I just laid them all over myself (laughs) and fell back to sleep. And can you imagine what it was like for my parents to come out and realize the Grinch was real? You know, there's, they go into my room, and there I am, smothered, half, you know, like, things on my face, body covered, things on the ground, I mean, all over me. That is, here's what it is. It isn't so much that we have to pull something within. was in. It's someone coming to us in the darkness and gathering us. It is the fact that Advent is God coming to earth, literally, physically, tangibly, and gathering his treasures and bringing them to himself. That is what it is, in the darkness. It is that simple illustration. If there is something you take from today, from Mary and her story, it is that thing that hope breaks in. I think when we talk about Mary and Jesus in this, it gets so sentimentalized, and our faith actually becomes sentimentalized in the process, and I'll be honest with you, it becomes dangerous, and here's why. Because we can lose the power of the reality of what this actually is. The advent is an arrival. It's a coming to us in the darkness and gathering us. It's not about us saying, we need to hold on to this, this sweetness. We need to hold on to the fact that Jesus came. There's no way we can do that. It's the fact that he came. That is why Luke actually writes the way he does. Different, Matthew, we read from the Gospel of Matthew last week. There are four Gospels if you're unfamiliar with the Bible. Therefore, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're reading from Luke, and Luke's emphasis is different than Matthew. Luke wants us to be shocked by the fact that this king would come to us, come to this people, and specifically come to Mary. Mary is in a place not of, you know, sweet sentimentality. She was a 12 to 13 year old girl. Who had the Lord visit her, and her shock and amazement is what we're supposed to read. We're not supposed to read between the lines. We're supposed to read the lines that Luke is trying to tell us. Here it is, in your face, that God is come. The reality is, He is here. It's not. It's not an emotional thing. It's an advent, an arrival, an announcement that Jesus is come, and that's what we need to take from this. And we want to see in this passage a couple things. Two things, actually. Mary's significance and her hope. Two simple things that, that break into this. Mary's significance and her hope. When it begins here in this very thing, it's supposed to tell us something. It says in Luke, who was actually a historian and a doctor. So there's these little details in here, not to mention the virgin birth for him. But listen to some of the details. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy that was a relative of Mary, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Here's what's being set up. Right before this, the angel Gabriel, an archangel, a messenger of the Lord, was going to Elizabeth and to her husband to talk about a birth in, in a holy temple, in a place, to a priest to a man of God, and he moves from this, what you would think where an angel would speak, to Nazareth. The fact that it's even called a city in some respects, it's actually a town, it wasn't even that. It was so insignificant, so nasty, that if you were a Greek reader, you'd say, why in the world, I don't know where you are in this room, but why in the world would God send an angel, a messenger, not just from where we think he would be to a to a small, ugly, gross town called Nazareth? And then even further to talk to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, to a young, young girl. And immediately what the angel says is, "Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. It is meant to shock us. It's actually meant to say, whoa, why is she favored? And notice her reaction. She's greatly troubled at the words. She's wondering what kind of things this must be. Even the, the Greek there of wondering is, is an accounting term. It actually means she's, she's counting up what, is, what does this mean? She's debating in her mind what this costs, what this really is going to cost her. Because she knows that people don't just get these kind of messages. They don't get angels coming to them like this. And on the other side of that, again, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. Notice there's a, there's a point here. That favor on either side of Mary's perplexity. And it's to show us that the significance of the angels coming to her, the significance of Mary herself, is not in who Mary is. It's in the fact that God finds favor with her. It's that he comes to her and sandwiched in between the favor is her perplexity. It's the fact that she's reasoning about this. She's thinking. She's involving thinking in her faith. I think we need to understand that. Because you can read this and think of Advent as a time where it's just sweet. Mary just kind of subdued and it was like, oh, this is precious. And you look at nativity scenes and you see typically the the, the figure of Mary in those scenes as someone who's actually, most of the time I see it, are mostly portrayed much older than they actually are. This was a young, young girl. In our case, it barely started Uh, starting middle school and an angel comes to her and she is perplexed she's trying to think through what in the world is going on she's trying to make sense of this and she's trying to open her heart and her thoughts to the reality it's hard for her to take this in it's difficult and here's the biggest reason why why would this come to me Women in that time were second class citizens, especially even a 12 to 13 year old girl was lowest in terms of class. Why would the most significant announcement come to her? It wasn't so much the messenger that scared her or caused her perplexity. It was the message itself. It was the fact that he came. It's the fact that she's trying to make sense of it. G.K. Testerton said it this way. He's a, he's a great thinker and author. He's, he talked about her trying to have an open mind. But he talks about what that means for us to have an open mind to think about things. But here's the way he puts it. He says, merely having an open mind is nothing. The object of opening the mind as, an, as of opening the mouth is to shut it again on something solid. That is, she needs to have something. It's not just she's trying to open her mind to anything that comes. She's trying to reason, what is this about? And we need to understand, our mind engages with our faith. It's not just sentimental. This isn't a time we revisit this story every time of year just so we can kind of think about it. It's that we need to engage our mind in what this message is, that it is potent, it's significant, and it's significant for those who are insignificant. For those who don't think this message is for them. See, even the words divine favor are saying that the most high is coming to the most low. It's coming to the most low. I I read an article this last week. that was so amazing. And it was of these two women who, in New York... um, have like $1.5 million and they're paying off medical debt for hundreds of New Yorkers. And so people are receiving these kind of yellow envelopes in the mail and it essentially says whatever medical bills you have in a bundle are totally wiped, they're totally canceled, you're debt free. Can you imagine what it would be like to receive a yellow envelope? When you know, not just that these are debts, maybe it's just a, 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 a water bill or electric bill, but it's a bill pertaining to your health, something that, that you are really constantly trying to find ways to make ends meet. And yet, they open the mailbox, they find this envelope, and, and their reaction, it was beautiful to read about these two women and their rejoicing of what it means to give to these, these hundreds of strangers. They have no idea who they are. And yet the reaction of that, they're not expecting it. The question that most of these people are having when they open their mailbox and see this is, why me? Why do I get this favor? Why do I get all of this favor and care? That is what God is saying. And that's what Mary is saying. Luke's view of of this birth of Jesus is telling us this. It's saying that this gospel, this favor is for outsiders. It's for for those who weren't invited to the party. That the good news, the announcement is getting those who are outside and bringing them in. Those who think they are not invited are invited and brought in. It, It means that those of us who think we're significant based on how we celebrate Jesus' birth are missing it. We are significant because he is born. The significance comes not from inside of us. We don't celebrate the Christmas spirit because we can work it up inside of us. If you're like me, I'm like Charlie Brown. You just kind of feel depressed sometimes at Christmas. And you can't muster it up. What happens even in Charlie Brown? It's that he has to be reminded. We have to be reminded. There's something outside of us. It's the significance. It's that a young girl who is second class, who in those days, women included, were not even trusted to give testimony in court, is brought the greatest favor and greatest news that the world would ever see. And she cannot believe it. She's trying to work it into her brain and make sense of it. If anyone here, and you may be here this morning, and whether you would consider yourself a Christian or not, would say, I don't know about Christianity. I don't know about particularly miracles or the virgin birth. Let me encourage you something. She didn't know about the virgin birth. She didn't know that that could happen. She's trying to work this out in her mind to think how can the one who is highly favored come to the one who is not at all and call me favored. Favored. See, Christmas is this. Christmas means that you and I are significant, not based on how we've done this quarter or how we feel like we're ending the year and looking forward. Whatever trials you feel like you've overcome, significance comes because he had to come. He had to come to... Proclaim that we're brought in. Christmas means you and I have to stop thinking how we are better than everyone else. Or how can we become better than everyone else? Christmas means that the God of heaven and earth came below us. I need to ask you something and I actually talked to our men's Bible study about this week. It means that what, what is this like? Let's, let's, let's zoom in for a second in this passage. It means the fact that what would it be like for you if Mary was here in our crowd and came up to take communion, and you saw a 12 to 13 year old girl who was pregnant? How would you handle that? Look, I know there are so many people in this room right now thinking, "Well, there are choices. There are things. This isn't the same." Hey. This was what she was taking on. Can I just say that out loud? What is it like for people to come in this room and feel like they need to put on a show to be significant? What would you do if you saw Mary in this context taking communion next to you or walking up the aisle? Would you judge her? Would you think, oh, poor thing, would you think, oh, I'm glad that's not my daughter? For some of you, you have gone through things that are of incredible difficulty and you continue to right now. Advent is for us who know we need someone to come to our lowly state. If you really want to know what the body of Christ is about, what these wonderful members just took in vows, we're vowing to a God who runs a church, who comes to those who don't come in thinking that they can run the show, but that we need him in the uttermost. It's to the outcast. It's to the one who doesn't have to go to everything and act like everything's all together? Do we have to come and act like we have it all together at Christmas? Can we just stop it? Because that's not what the Advent is about. If that was true, if significance was something that we possessed already without Him coming, then we wouldn't need to celebrate this at all. Mary is taking on a cost and knowing that this is her significance because she has to. And she is weighing the options. That's what she's doing. She is troubled. The words greatly troubled means that she is so perplexed and so scared, and yet she takes on a cost. She knows the social ramifications, and yet she does it. She obeys because this one says she's highly favored. Where do you hold favor? Is it from the one who comes into this world to break in anew to tell you you're significant? Or are we still trying to put it together in the way that we end our year? This is the God who gives her significance because he is significant. And here's the kicker. He doesn't just do that because he gives her significance but because he himself is her hope. Did you notice this list here? In verse 31, after 30, after the angel says, do not be afraid, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high, that is, son of God. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. What a resume. Can you imagine before you were born, if your parents already had this list for you? Whoa. And this isn't just like a, hey, Mary, let me tell you how great he's going to be. You're going to have an awesome kid. It's actually more than that. These titles would ring in her Jewish mind as one who's coming to restore something that continues to fail. And even in that moment, she's living in a very hopeless age, an age when Israel was oppressed, when there was no hope for her socially, politically, in any way, it just felt bleak. Not to mention her own current status and who she was. In the entirety of the land, it was a hopeless time. And to hear this harkens back to ancient kings and David himself, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, King David in the Old Testament was heralded as the ultimate king who brought Israel to its zenith. And yet only to see the kingdom after him even even during his reign reign. Crumble again. And they kept wondering who's going to come, who's going to come, who's going to come and restore. And here's this list, spoken even out of Isaiah chapter 7. Here is this list. And she is thinking, this is the son that's going to come from me? Think about this for a second. This is a king talked about on a royal palace, and yet she's not in a palace. She's not a queen. She's not a princess. She has no authority, no royal standing whatsoever. And yet, this is where royalty comes. You know what was amazing about watching uh, um, President Bush's funeral to me, which was so beautiful, by the way? And just to watch um, his son cry at his funeral. God. But you know what was incredible about that? Was seeing just the array of people. Uh, particularly our president's past and current, just sitting there in the audience. And it kind of it makes you think, this is a powerful moment of our you know, nation's history. Regardless of where you are on the political spectrum, it's just kind of amazing to see all of these people in one room sitting together, honoring one of their own. And some of us in this room, and particularly me, I was very young when H.W. Uh, uh, Bush was uh, president. And... Um, But yet I remember his presidency and didn't know much about it, but to see him, it just it to me it harkens this end of an era and then moving forward. And you see these people in the audience, this power of our nation, the history, the decisions, the trials, all the things that come with each of their presidencies and the ups and downs. And yet, here's what's so hard about it: they end. You know, it was the most stark thing for me is to see the casket and to think his presidency is over. His life is over. And yet this list here is different. The magnificent list that is given to Mary here about the ruler that would come from her is not just, hey, here's your past. It talks about past rulers. It even talks about Jacob, one of the great foremost leaders of Israel. There is this array, but here's going to come one who's going to be seated there, and you know what? It'll never end. There'll never be an end. The oppression that you feel will finally be over. Can you imagine if we actually had a candidate? Can you imagine if we had somebody who came into office and they were eternal and every decision they made wasn't just for the populace and it wasn't just this or that it actually impacted you so directly so deeply that every part of your life seemed to continue to rise out of being oppressed emotionally socially economically that is this ruler her hope is in this one to come and here's what's so incredible about this How does he come? She asks the question, right? She says, how? How will this be since I'm a virgin? She knows she doesn't even believe in the virgin birth. (laughs) Mary doesn't believe in it either. And yet what occurs is this. The angel says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This language... Is language that's even echoed all the way at the very beginning of the entire Bible. When the Holy Spirit overshadows and covers the earth, there's a creation event happening. You need to understand something. This language is key because it's telling us this isn't just a new king, this is a new world that's coming, a new creation. And here's how it comes this is what blows Mary away immediately when that king is born, what is he? Vulnerable and broken. Vulnerable and broken. Over and over, the Bible does this. It throws you a curveball. Revelation does this a lot. It's the fact that it'll say, it'll make this incredible announcement to John in this last book of the Bible, and will say, here's the king who has flames of fire of eyes, and a sword coming out of his mouth, and this unreal description of this warrior who's particularly supposed to be Jesus, and then the person hearing this goes, oh, let me see, and they turn around, and it's actually a a lamb being slain. It's this weird turnaround. (laughs) Why? Because the most powerful figure in all of history, bringing all of a new world in, is this. It's the one who comes in all strength and might and yet makes himself vulnerable because he has to. The only way that it can meet Mary's hope and our hope, our true hope, is if he makes himself vulnerable and breakable. That he deliberately puts himself in that position. I heard a hilarious story from Jimmy Fallon about his Christmases and his parents. And he talked about this. He said and his parents were so overprotective. Listen to this. He said, "Me and my sister had to play in the backyard all the time and they used to, they bought us bikes for Christmas, but we couldn't ride them in the street, so we had to ride them in the backyard." And another Christmas, my dad bought me a basketball hoop but put it in the middle of the lawn. You can't dribble on grass. This heavenly father is announcing that I am going to send you the greatest, my son, my son, and yet he's gonna be unprotected. The only way, the only way for us to have hope in the midst of any of our hopelessness is if this great king makes himself vulnerable puts himself in the position that you and I are in. Look, Advent has to be real. If, if it's not, then it's worthless because it has to be real if this God actually put himself in the position to be vulnerable as you are, as I am. I encountered someone last night. I was talking even at the Christmas, uh, community Christmas party. And they shared something just brief with me. It wasn't even that big deal, but I could hear even in their voice just some shame about something. And I thought, what would it be like for a us to actually realize that we have a God that comes and he puts himself in the position to encounter your shame. Do you understand that's what Advent is? To grow up feeling and knowing the shame that you and I experience and we can't get rid of, that every Christmas may remind you of. Your badness. All the things that you think you know, we come in here and sentimentalize and maybe that's the only way we can come in here because if we really admitted we're vulnerable sinners, we couldn't come to Advent. But what does God do? He saves. He comes in. We sing a song, bid my anxious fears goodbye. We sing it over and over and we have to because if we don't, we will lose the thought that this boy who takes on flesh must come in that way to save us. And it is Mary's hope and that is ours to become breakable, become broken. That's what this table means. This table is that very thing. This table is the fact that this passage ends in such a stark way. It ends by Mary saying, I am the servant of the Lord. May your word be be fulfilled, and then the angel left her. That, that language is, is more profound than we may see on the outset. It actually means this. It means that the status of a slave was determined by the status of the head of the house. In other words, she's shifting her focus from even Joseph being the head to God. That would throw such a crazy, costly environment for her in this. That God becomes the head, and here's what's incredible. Unlike Joseph, who died before he ever got to see his son's ministry, Mary saw it. Mary encountered Jesus in certain ways, whether it was at a wedding, where he turned water into wine, and even saw her own son die on the cross. And what was so profound is if you read in the Gospel of Acts, Luke has two books. Luke wrote Luke, but he also wrote Acts as his second, as a sequel. And the very first chapter of Acts, you see Mary again. And where you see her is after her son has already left, and she's praying for this. It actually says in Acts chapter 1 that she's praying for his return. My friends, this table, we are joining that favored one, that one whom God came to who had no significance and raised her to incredible significance because of what she was to him and what you are to him. We come to this table not because we proclaim significance, we come to this table because he is our significance. We taste what Mary saw, her own son dying. Can you imagine the anguish she raised him? Knowing all these things and yet experiencing the anguish and the emotion of seeing her own son being called a traitor, being betrayed, being spit upon. And yet she, she's seen praying for his return, knowing what we need to know. That As we come to this table, we come in the light. Let's stand.